0: Says uh, in Luke chapter 13, verse 22, I'm going to read through this first part. I'm going to read through it. I'm going to say a couple things before I get really into it too far. But I want to read through it, and then we're going to do a little bit of a study of it. Actually, we're going to go backwards through it as we study it. But I want to jump right to that first verse before I even pray. I want to just jump right to that first verse, verse 22. Uh, we're really shifting gears now, and Luke is telling us this is almost like a travel. And so he's saying this is the direction that we're going. And he says he's on his way, Uh, Jesus is on his way through the towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. Now, what ultimately happens to Jesus in Jerusalem? Hmm? Crucifixion, right? There's a, first off, there's a glorious reception, but then there's a crucifixion. It'll be important as we continue on working through here that we think about those things because we know where this goes. It's important to think about those things and have those things in our minds as we're learning about Jesus and what he does and how he uh, is ministering to these people. Now, before I go any further, I'm going to take a moment. i want to pray that God will direct this, and uh, then we're going to jump right into the rest of this passage. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you again for this day, and I just want to pray now that you would guide and direct um, as we look at your word. Lord, this is your word, and we just pray that you would uh, direct through me this morning as I preach this passage. Lord, I pray that I would not veer off of the truths that you would have for everyone that is present today. Lord, I pray that you would uh, help the truth be uh, spoken, but Lord, also heard. I pray these things now in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so verse 23. Kind of Every once in a while I get excited about what I'm preaching on. I'm a little excited about this. Um, someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? As one of my commentaries pointed out, somebody was listening. I mean, if you have been in Luke at all, this question would come up. There's been a whole bunch of things that Jesus has been saying that makes you scratch your head and wonder, well, wait a minute, if all this is true, what does that mean for all of us, right? Now, this question itself is one that is not that uncommon in this time period. There were a lot of uh, other writings that have to do with the Sanhedrin and other just Jewish writings that had to do with this question, who then is saved? Now, the common answer to that question in a Jewish mindset, so I'm just giving you, there's a big picture idea here to this, this text, and so in that big-picture uh, context, for the Jews, they kind of felt like if you were Israel, you were going, you're you going to be saved. You're a Jew. You're being saved, right? You're going to go to heaven when you're done. And when they're talking about saved, they're talking about eventually, right, who will be saved. We've been saved. They understood that saved very much not, or not that much different the way we recognize that there's a salvation. But there's ultimately one of the biggest picture ideas of saved is that we will be saved at the end, right? And so that was a question, and so they had this in-context question, and so one of them has been listening to what Jesus is saying and asks this question. Now, I'm going to read through his answer. You'll notice a couple things right off the bat. You're going to notice, first of all, he doesn't answer it directly, as very often he does not answer questions directly, right? And so he's going to answer this question. I just want you to listen to it. I'm just going to read through all the way down to verse 30, and then we're going to Shift it into reverse, and we're going to back our way back through this text. Okay, can we do that? All right, so let's read through it here. Going on to the rest of verse 23 and verse 24, it says, And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us. Then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence. And and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. And people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. We were just singing about that, weren't we? And behold, his summary statement. Some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. Now, you ready to throw it in reverse? Can you hear the beeping? Beep, beep, beep. We're going to start backing our way through this text because I, I don't know if you're like me, but as I worked my way through this, there was several times along the way that I was like, hold up. Did you feel that at all? Was there some things that Jesus just said that you're like, wait, hold up, right? And so that's why we're going to do that. We got to the, I, I wanted to make it, let's get to the end, and then we're going to back our way, okay, wait a minute, hold up, let's go back through this. Now, I'm going to start with verse 30. I just want to make a comment about it. This verse 30 is a great reversal of things. Jesus does this a lot in a lot of his teachings. There's a lot of times where he talks about the first will be last, or he'll say um, that the 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 I'm trying to think of, I just had a bunch of examples in my head, and they just all flew out of my mind. Why does that happen? That was the least, will be the greatest. Okay, thank you. Oh, good night. This is not a good start to the day. All right. This is what I get for not putting it down in my notes. This summary statement, though, I want you to know, to their Jewish minds, they would have been picking up what he was putting down. They're the first. And Jesus just said, Something else, he says, all over the place, from the east and the west, and there's going to be they're coming and they're going to be reclining at ta- a table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and, and you're going to be left out. The first will be last, and the last will be first. Five points, okay. I'm going to give you these five points, and then a point of application after that. These five points, because. When I thought through this, and I wanted to back my way through this text, I thought to myself, how would they have heard this, and it would have rubbed them the wrong way. Now, there's a lot of us that we go, it wouldn't rub us the wrong way the way it rubbed them the wrong way, but it's still going to rub us the wrong way in a very similar wrong way. Okay, They were rubbed the wrong way because they were Jews, and Jesus was referring to Gentiles being in the kingdom, sitting with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They did not like that. In this country, in our society, in our culture, as much as people like to call it a post-Christian society, I have found that most people I talk to, they wouldn't necessarily say, I'm a Christian, but there's a ton of people out there that are like, well, I'm not a a Muslim, so I must be a Christian, right? (laughs) And there's a sense, and if you don't believe me, there's a sense that, it's all going to be fine. We're all going to make it. If you don't believe me, go down the road. Take, take a, you know, go this way. Take a le- right. Go down to Sunset and just start sitting in some funerals. Nobody's not going to heaven. They're all going to heaven. Everybody. It doesn't matter what they've done, how they lived, who they know, what they didn't do, did do anything. It doesn't matter. Uh, all of a sudden, you could have people doing the worst possible things. And I, I've had, I've known people that are like, oh, he's the worst, she's the worst, she's the worse. They die like, oh. He's at peace now. I'm like, are we talking about the same guy you were talking about yesterday? (laughs) Before this happened? Something's off in our thinking about our eternal destination. And so there's five points I think we ought to hit. Because we're talking about, we're followers of Jesus here. What does Jesus teach? A lot of people know his name. They say things about him. They know some of his catchphrases, right? What's one of the favorites in our community? Judge, judge now you knew it. <laughs> he knew it. He knew where I was going. <laughs> don't judge, don't judge, judge. You said don't judge, right? And that's what he I wasn't judging. I was just getting ready to say something else. And you're, you know, that's what, they don't know anything else he said. I'll tell you. He said that one time. He said a bunch of other stuff too, right? In fact, one of the things he talks about in here, he said a lot of times. And so let's talk about this. So let's throw it in reverse. Let's start backing our way through this. I'm just going to give you point number one from this. This is not going to rub too many people the wrong way because most of us, I, I, I've even found that, that uh, people who are um, atheists, <laughs> they die and their family is still talking about this one, right? They could have denied God exists all along. You go to their funeral and they're like, oh, he's He's, he's in heaven now. He's in a better place, right? And you're going, again, that, I don't think he believed that place existed. And so this one doesn't rub us all that too you know, foul. This isn't like rubbing up against sandpaper here. This one's, this one's kind of nice. Okay, I love this one. Don't you love this one? Who in here loves this one? You love this? I love this one. I love that there's a heaven. Don't you love that there's a heaven? Amen. Yes, some of you are are sitting here like, I can't wait to get there, right? I mean, just just heaven. Yes, I love this. Jesus talks about heaven in this passage. He alludes to it, and he says, verse 29, people will come from east and west, from north and south, and recline at table in the kingdom of God. There's a ton of ways that the Bible talks about it, but one of my favorites, no comment, please, but one of my favorites refers to feasting. Okay, like I said, no comment. Some of you want to comment? You're thinking right now, you already love feasting, Matt. I do. I am preparing for heaven. There's going to be a great feast when we get there, and I'm just getting ready. It's like getting ready for Thanksgiving feast, right? Some of you are like, I'm going to hold off. I'm getting ready for Thanksgiving. Not me. i got to stretch this baby out. I'm going to take all I can in, right? There is a feast, and the Bible talks about it. That's what this is referring to reclining at table people will come and people from all over this globe in fact think, you just think about the idea and the pictures that are captured here from all over time because what else do you see here we, we talk about it in just a minute in fact i'm going to go to a parallel passage jesus talks about this on more than one occasion because matthew records it in a different context matthew chapter 8 verse 11 jesus says i tell you many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. I don't know if we get to call seats, but anybody ever think about that part? Right? I want a seat next to, you know, I got got some questions. What was that like, right? What, What did that, I just can't wait. There's some of these people I just got, I just can't wait to meet. And you're going to. We're going to be feasting with Abraham. That's awesome, isn't it? Exciting stuff, right? People come from the east and the west all over time. There's going to be Christians that you didn't even know existed. that have done amazing things for God and their names nobody even remembers. And God's going to, I think, be calling some people up to say that they were on this earth outcast by everybody, but they stood for me and I want to recognize them now, Right? There's Christians all through history who have died for their faith. Some of them you hear about, many, 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 you never know. There's going to be Christians who spent their entire lives, 30, 40, 50 years, serving faithfully, day after day after day, with no recognition. You're going to get to meet those people too, right? I am looking forward to heaven There's much that could be said about this. Jesus told this story in connection with the centurion. And so, again, he's describing people from all over the place, not just Jews, but Gentiles as well. And so for their ears, they would have heard that. But you take this into consideration as well. I mean, if you're of the mindset or of the sort, that's like, well, not those people or those people or those people. Hogwash, Right. Heaven is going to be filled with people, and there's going to be some people up there that you go, I did not expect to see them. (laughs) Right? I always wonder about that thief on the cross who was mocking, but then before he dies, turns and says, remember me. I wonder how many people that we don't even know about in those last moments. And I've got people that I know that I've thought to myself, I hope in their final states, they uttered, remember me, Lord. I fought you every day, but in those last months, I hope, I hope so much. And we'll talk more about that in just a moment. This mystery, Ephesians talks about this. We talked about the word mystery uh, the other day in one of our Thursday nights. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, Paul the Apostle tells us, members of the same body. That was one of the mysteries that was hidden in ages past. It's been revealed that it wasn't just for this certain set people. It was going to expand across the entire globe. That they would be partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I'm getting off track. There's a heaven. There's so much could be said here, but again, I don't think the world's going to argue with us about this. And like I said, this doesn't rub us too much the wrong way. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if most of us in this room were like, yeah, I think I'm going. Right? Yeah, now some of you are like, yes, I am. (laughs) That's okay, too. But you just go, I mean, I used to just, it used to blow my mind sometimes and not in a judgmental way, but just like, what? Part two, point two, I'm sorry. This is gonna rub some of you the wrong way. I think it rubbed the people that heard it the first time the wrong way. This place also exists. Like heaven, and the glimpses we get of heaven, I know it's much more marvelous than I can imagine. Hell, and the glimpses of hell that we get, I can only imagine is much more horrific than we can imagine. There is this place called hell. Hell. We need to face it head on because Jesus faces it head on. And we're all in here today saying we're followers of Jesus. We believe in Jesus' teachings, right? Disciples of Christ. What What did he teach? This is his teaching. What did he say? He talked about in that last verse that not everybody's going here, that some are going to be cast out. And what does he say in that place, verse 28? In that place, he says, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets and the King of God, but you yourselves are cast out. In the Jewish minds, they heard clearly what he was saying. Just because you're of Israel doesn't mean this is where you're headed. I think that we could also say the same thing for all of us. Just because of fill in the blank, how do you know? That's what we need to get to, isn't it? That's What's at the root of the first question? What spurred this whole conversation? Are there a lot of people going to be saved or not few? What is it, Jesus? Looking at a parallel passage in Matthew 8, we looked at part of this earlier. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob at the kingdom of heaven. I read that one to you. While the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness. There's another piece of description. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In Matthew alone, this is just Matthew's accounts of Jesus' teachings, where he just, I just looked for this phrase, weeping and gnashing of teeth. If you ever wonder what kinds of things Jesus talked about, this is one of them. I've always wondered what weeping and gnashing of teeth is. The word weeping is an expression of sorrow, but it's sorrow at loss for what you're not going to get. There's two versions of that. I think you've probably all experienced it. There's a sorrow, a genuine sorrow at loss that happens. But do you ever have that sorrow at loss that turns into something else? A little bit of anger in there. It's interesting, that next word, that gnashing of teeth, it can also be an expression of rage. Like Acts chapter 7, verse 54, there's some people that are upset with Paul. It says they start grinding their teeth. Very similar word usage being used there. I think when we see this, we're seeing a little bit of that as well. A weeping and a gnashing. A rage. Jesus says a lot of other talking about this. There's a lot of time we could spend dealing with this. He calls it an unquenchable fire. In Mark 9:43. In Matthew 3:12, he calls it an unquenchable fire. In Matthew 25, 41, he calls it an eternal fire. In Mark 9, he talks about it as one and the people that go there. And he uses a phrase that has to do with being destroyed by decomposition. And he says, in this place, the worm does not die. This unquenchable eternal fire is not one that you will get into and be consumed and burned and over with. Now, I I want you to know... If I let myself think about it, I I can't can't hardly look at it. Would you agree? The worst thing I think we could do, though, would be to ignore it. In fact, I would say that one of the reasons why Jesus addresses it is because in his divine reality, he knew of this place. If you knew of a place like this and you knew people could go there, wouldn't you talk about it? Right? There's a place of reclining at table, but there's also a place of unspeakable, horrific torment. It's not a vindictive torment of God. It's the righteous justice of God revealed. Frightening. Horrific. I don't think there's anything wrong with speaking about this, not to try to scare, but to try to wake up. OK This brings me to, in our reverse studies, we're backing through here, to verse 27, and point number three. There's a heaven, there's a hell, and what is implied with those two things, Jesus alludes to here, right? There is a judgment. There's a judgment. In verse 27, the master of the house says, he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. There's somebody that's making a decision about who comes in and who does not. Do you see that in this story? If you're wondering who that is, we can look at Matthew chapter 7 in a parallel story where Jesus says almost identical words but he recognizes or he he voices the reality that the person, this master of the house, is him. I will declare to them, Jesus speaking, I never knew you depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. There's a judgment. I'm going to jump ahead to Revelation chapter 20, because in Revelation 20, I think we get one of the clearest glimpses of this, uh, a lot of people like to boil these judgments down like this and this and this. I'm telling you, there, there's a lot of things. There's a lot, I got a lot of question marks about exactly what plays out, but there, the important things are answered. There's a judgment. It is appointed to man once to die, and after that, the judgment. That's the important piece. Not a single one of us will escape either one of those realities. Death and judgment. Revelation chapter 20. John, one of Jesus' followers, is given a glimpse at future events. I've always wondered, as John wrote this book of Revelation, how much of it he was struggling, even in the the direction of the Spirit, for words to describe what he's seeing. I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death in Hades. Hades, the realm of the dead. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. They were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death in Hades... Were thrown, cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Can you feel that question that that guy had initially? Will those who are saved be few? Saved from God's wrathful judgment? You might be thinking right now, I don't know, but some of you might be thinking, Matt, you said we're all complete idiots. But our futures were incredibly bright, and anybody can get in on this. But not anyone does get in on this. This is the the hard reality of what we're talking about from Jesus' teaching. Side note if I may be honest. I'm going to say something, but I'm going to tell you, as soon as I say it, I'll wish I could retract it because it's going to crumble and fall apart immediately. There's a part of me that every once in a while wishes we'd just all go to heaven. I mean, God is a forgiving God. and I just, but, but as soon as I say it, there, there's, there's, there's realities of who God is and His justice and righteousness that begin to fall apart. We need a righteous judge of the universe that will judge rightly. And so we need a Jesus. But how does all this tie together? In fact, I'm going to go to point four, backing up through this text. Point four, there's a Jesus. Now, normally I bring up Jesus to talk about how our futures are incredibly bright and why and how anyone can get in on this, the gospel message. But today I want to bring him up to point out what our idiocy does not mean. Okay? Look at verse 36. Then you will begin to say, We ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. These people... Have a familiarity with Jesus. You see that in this text? They know who he is. In fact, I read this and I thought, this sounds a lot like church. Did we not just eat and drink in his presence and hear the teaching right now? Here's the reality, if I may just be so bold. It's absolutely a true reality that someone in this very room could be sitting here and if eternal destination was finally revealed, they would not end up in heaven. That's a reality. I want to do everything I can to preach and teach God's truth so that that does not happen. Part of that is talking about these things. I hope that one of the questions you start to develop in your mind was is going to be, well, how do I? Well, how do I know? Right? See, because there's an idiocy that can lead us to Christ, and there's an idiocy that will not lead us to Christ. Does that make sense? You guys are like, I think so, but I'm also an idiot, so Matt, I don't know. Okay. There's an idiocy that recognizes your own idiocy and says, I need a Jesus. But there's an idiocy that can sit there and look at Jesus and hear about Jesus day after day, week after week, after week month after month, year after year, and just it's in one ear and out the other. That is a different kind of idiocy. It's a foolishness as the Old Testament described it. In a parallel passage, Jesus gets a little bit more specific about these, this group of people. Matthew chapter 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So these people have even said, Lord, Lord. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Now, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. The... the I, I, I know some of you are thinking, I thought you always were honest with you. Yes, I'm always trying to be honest with you. But I'm telling you right now, when I say that, I'm trying to say, I'm going to go out on the limb here and be overly transparent with you. There are some things the way Jesus teaches that you sit there and you listen to it, and it's like, that doesn't sound like just believing and everything is going to be okay. There's a flip side to this coin. Now, I'm going to tell you, I don't think it's that weird of a flip side to the coin. I think it actually makes 100% sense people do what they believe so if you say i believe in jesus but you don't do what he says as john says in first john if you say i believe in him but don't do what he says you're a liar that's what john says and the truth is not in you people do what they believe that's just we're all like that you can say whatever you want but what you really believe you do And you can profess up one wall and down another how much you believe in God. But if you say, I believe in God, understand, James says the demons believe and tremble. These people even went out on a limb. They've done some things for him and in his name. Lord, on that day, many will, many, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name and then I will declare to them, Jesus says, I never knew you. Depart from me. Now, hopefully we get to something more positive here. But let yourself marinate in Jesus' teaching. I didn't write these words. The same one who created heavens and earth taught this. You ought to listen, right? Don't miss this next point, point number five. Before we get to the application point, there's a fifth point here. Did you catch that in his story? As we're backing up through there, did you catch that there, There's a there's a there's a shut door moment. Now we could talk about when this happens. I can tell you when I think this door is shut. I think the door's shut when you stop breathing. I think as long as you got breath in your lungs, there's opportunity for you to repent and turn from your sin and believe in Christ. I believe that one hundred percent. But don't miss that in or after this shut door, there's consciousness. Not oblivion. Once the master of the house has risen and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us. And he will answer you. And as we know from his other Accounts of this. This is Jesus talking about himself. I don't know you. There's a shut door in the future. Opportunity does not last forever. I know many a pastor has used versions of this to wallop people on the head and try to trick them into coming to Christ. I'm not doing that. Please understand. Okay? I don't want to scare anybody into it. That's not my goal. But I have a mandate to teach what Jesus taught. Should I skip it? Should I just skip this? This is ugly. Should I just skip this thing here? Can I tell you again why I, I sometimes I want to skip? Because I know, I know that one of the realities of hearing these things is not just... Us thinking about, what about me? Am I, am I really... Uh, but there are people that we know that as far as you know, they live to their dying day denying him. And when you hear these things, you go... You, 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 there's a face to this horror. And that's hard, isn't it? There was a missionary who, when he made it to India and while I'm telling you this story, I'm going to try to think of his name because that's not in my notes. Um, he was confronted by these um, Buddhist uh, teachers. Brahmin, what is the word I'm looking for? Anyway, he, he's confronted by them. They're listening to what he's saying about Jesus and this coming and salvation, and they, they, they're, they're listening, and they say to him, if what you're saying is true, then my father... And my grandfather and my great-grandfather and all of our ancestors before us are in this place that you call hell. Now, how would you respond? I can tell you how this missionary responded. You could try to soften the blow. He did not. He quoted scripture. He says, in times past, he's quoting Paul the Apostle from Romans. In times past, God overlooked this ignorance, but now he's called everyone, everywhere to come to Christ. So I say the same thing to you. I know that's hard. I have hopes. I like to cling to hope with people that I've known that have fought to the very end. I like to cling, man, I hope, maybe, like that thief on the cross, maybe. But don't ignore the call that Christ might have on you right now. Which brings us in complete reverse to the beginning, and it is not a typical pat church answer that you would think you would hear from Jesus. He uses a word that kind of flips everything upside down on its head. But since I'm called to teach what Jesus taught, I have to teach it. And I'm going to be honest, I love it. All the way in reverse now. Application point. Wait, what? But I thought we were supposed to let... Dan, what, dude, his burdens are... I thought we were just supposed to let him do it. Yeah, what about... But... that? Okay, you don't believe me. We'll just have to read it. The guy said, are many going to be saved or a few? What's Jesus say? Let's just read. And he said to them, maybe you should read it with me. Can we should you read it out loud? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. What? Wow. Wow. Strive to enter. Well, how does that fit with everything else? How does that work into all these things? In fact, I'm going to tell you that word strive. The Greek where this tra- that it comes from looks a lot like the word agony. Like it, it, it can sometimes be translated fight. Sometimes it's translated compete. Here, uh, let's just do a couple other examples so we can understand what Jesus was saying. Let's see how Paul used this word. First Timothy 4.10 For to this end we toil and strive. Ooh, but we get a glimpse of maybe how it all works together. Do you see it right here? For to this end we toil and strive, there it is, because we have our hope set on the living God. Ooh, Maybe that's what it's about. Maybe that's how it ties together. Maybe, okay, I'm saying maybe. I, I think I know what it is. I Here's what I believe. It goes back to what I said at the beginning. People do what they believe. And if you're sitting here today and you're like, in fact... Before this is over, I think, I, I'm i hoping that some of you are going to have more confidence than you've ever had before that you are a child of God and you're going to heaven. Okay? And it's probably not for the reason that you think I'm going to tell you. For this, I'm going to toil and strive because we have our hopes set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Paul says it again. Fight the good fight of faith. There it is. Fight. Strive. Fight. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession, the presence of many witnesses. Fight this fight that you called in the salvation, right? Take hold of eternal life. 1 Corinthians 9.25, everyone who competes, that's the word, competes in the games. So this striving is almost like an Olympic event. That's what he's talking about. All right, I'm gonna give you this last one here. This one is not one I've normally used in this context, but I, I think it's going to help. I, I really do think it's going to help. I'm going to throw some Greek words at you. You ready for it? I'm not going to try to pronounce them. All right. There, because there's several words in here that just get me going, whoa. Okay. So this word toil, now the the um, we'll get to the word that Jesus uses. It's used in here as well, but I'm going to start off with this first word, toil. Toil. Um, Uh, You can see that, whoops, to grow weary, tired, exhausted with toil or burdens or grief. Like, worn out. I'm going to toil. Work. I miss that sometimes. I don't get to do that kind of work now as a teacher. I I miss that. I used to work as a furniture mover. And I I can remember those days where you had, like, I'm 10 hours straight of moving people's nasty couches. You know, it's like, just... This worry yourself out. Now, I'm going to start to plant some ideas. Some of you know exactly what this is talking about already. For you, the Christian life, as much as there's a, a peace that passes all understanding, as much as you sit there and go, man, his joke is so easy, his burden is light, as much as you can say all these things, every single day you get up and this Christian walk is like a battle. Right? You're man. It's like every day. I'm gonna be honest with you. Trying to be a Christian. This is gonna sound weird to some of you. Trying to be a Christian is really hard sometimes. It feels that way. I mean, I'm. I don't know if I go more than ten minutes in the day without thinking. This battle. Worn out. And there's the next word. For this I toil. This little tiny verse has a whole bunch of powerful words in it. This is why I'm showing this to you. For this I toil, struggling. There it is. That's the word that Jesus used. Strive to enter. Struggling. Right? You see, you, look at the Greek, see the Greek letter? You see that first word? What is that? What word does it look like? Agony? Agonizing over something? Striving? I picture the guy, now I don't do this anymore, but I used to try to run. I know you're all thinking, you still do it, right? I could tell. You got a runner's body. No, I don't. I got a couch body. Um, but I can remember those times when I would do that, and like, you, you, anybody that ever does that, you know what that's like when you get to that. Like, I'm gonna do one more mile, right? And somebody's like, more? <laughs> do one what are you talking about but i can remember doing that like okay or like when you when you get to the your block and you can see your house at the end you're like okay now i could just walk it off i'm going walk it out to the end you ever you ever do that like no i can do it anybody ever do that you know what i'm talking about agonizing over it. i'm gonna i'm telling you right now i'm a pastor this is how being a christian feels like to me a lot of the time like work and effort, okay, struggling, agonizing over it, now, but we're struggling, now, this is really difficult to play out what the Greek is actually saying here, but I I hope that you can see with all his, this is going to be talking about God's, um, what's that, what's that Greek word look like, it's, it's really easy to, this is not a trick question, right, it, now, it's translated, um, all his energy, all his work. Sometimes this word is translated work, all the work. And so there's, you're going to see this word again, energy. So we got toil, we got agonizing over stuff, we got energy that he powerfully, and there's the word again. So one is, one is the um, noun, his energy, his working that's working. So now it's a verb. Okay? So that word, that energy is used twice. And then my favorite one, the last one, that he powerfully works in me. It's actually the last word in the Greek sentence. Um, tell me what word that looks like. Can you guys see? I know it's small. Dynamite. Woo! Dynamite, right? Power. 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 It is a female. Thanks for pointing. It's power, though, right? So we've got toil. We've got energy. We've got power, dynamite power. All these things working, and this is what this verse captures. For this I toil. This is Paul the apostle talking about living this life for Christ. And he says, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully, dynamite, works in me. Now if you're sitting here and this is what I'm going to tell you and I'm going to close with if you're sitting here and your Christian life is like a coast though you're the one that I would sit here and go you should be worried because that is not what it looks like in scripture it looks like a striving for him exerting of energy and effort and if you're just going through and you're like oh you think about jesus maybe once a week or something like and It's just uh yeah yeah i probably uh, then i i'm telling you right now this pet this message is for you to say wait a minute hold up i am not experiencing it this way but now on the flip side of that coin if you're sitting here you're going there must be something wrong with me because i can never i feel like i can never get myself j- just situated in this christian life and get it settled well guess what i am not there either I'm convinced I will have to fight this fight till the day that I die. There's temptations, there's struggles that I have that I'm sitting here going. I used to think I, I'm struggling with this. I was like, man, I thought I thought I'd be done with this. I got saved, and then I like and I got really saved. You know what I think? Anybody ever do that? Like I got saved, but then I got really saved, then, and then that other time that I got really, really saved after that, and then like, well, maybe I didn't mean it the first five times. I'm really getting saved this time, and then but then I kept and you know why I kept doing it because I kept thinking, why am I still struggling? You know why? Because you're in this stupid body. And you're gonna be with it till the day you die and then you'll be free of that striving and enter his rest and recline at table. So I'm telling you right now, if you feel like, if you go, I just don't know if I am. In fact, sometimes when I talk about the heaven and hell, like some of the people that ought to be confident are the ones that get start to get worried because like, oh, I'm doing so terribly. I'm telling you right now, if your Christian life is like, crawling on the ground and you're scratching your way but you're headed to Jesus like I'm going to do everything I can and you're like oh and you, you feel like you can't make any progress but you're still you're headed that way that's exactly what Jesus is talking about now some of you you're sprinting to him some of you are crawling to him some of you are just on the ground just clawing your way to him every day, every day, and I'm never gonna stop. And Jesus says, when somebody asks him, who's gonna be saved? What's he tell him? He didn't say, just believe. Not, in this, not this time he didn't. What did he say to this guy? He said, strive to enter because some will seek and will not be able. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I would ask you now, Number one, to fill with the, this powerful spirit, this dynamite power that you, all that you are so that those that are in this room that have that spirit would not cease to strive. They will endure to the end no matter what their progress looks like. It will always be progress headed to you to the day that they die. God, I pray that you would empower them to do that. Help them to never Never, never give up. And Lord, if it be your will that you never relieve that or make it easier, then let them continue to strive in spite of all that the flesh does, in spite of all that Satan does. Help them to strive to the day they breathe their last breath. Help them, Lord, to get to the point where they say, Lord, if it kills me, I will never fall away from you ever. Lord, I'm following after you. I'm striving. Lord, we who trust in the salvation that you have worked for us, will do such a thing in gratitude for the glorious gift you've given. Help those on the other hand that are coasting through and aren't given a thought or a care at all and are just like, ah, it'll be fine. I pray that you might peel open those blind eyes and unclog those deaf ears for at least a glimpse of your truth, the hard, horrific truth of a place of weeping and gnashing, but also of a place of glory and feasting. I pray these things, that they will be done in the name of Jesus. Amen. You are dismissed.